0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep Food Radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate.
2: This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Learn more at bendatable.com. That's B E N T O T A B L E.com. And when you use code HRN for a new subscription, you get $20 off, and we at HRN get $10.
3: hey hey hey! welcome to beer sessions radio on heritage radio network this is a special recording uh in june 2020 and uh unfortunately due to the pandemic our studio has been closed but we're recording remotely the upside is that we've gotten to talk to people from all over the world norway london seattle and today we'll be talking to folks in belgium barcelona and franconia Germany. So we're going to go around the room and introduce everyone. First, a big shout out, heritageradionetwork.org. Support us. There's a summer membership drive, heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So let's go around the room. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio.
4: And I'm uh, Jim Barnes, uh, From and I'm working at Hertel Braun Manufacturer in uh, Schlüsselfeld in Germany in, in and in Franconia.
3: In Franconia and, and and Blocky, yeah, I knew you for a long time in New York City. You worked at Pretty Things Beer. You worked at uh, Shelton yeah. Brothers as well. Um, so we're going to talk a little yeah. about how you ended up in Franconia because all of our guests today uh, would have been on the Shelton Brothers tours that, that were postponed due to the pandemic. Um, Joel, I didn't hear you. Can you introduce yourself again? Yeah, it's Joel from Shelton Brothers. Great. And you've also have been organizing these Shelton Brothers tours the last few years, haven't you?
5: Yeah, for couple of two or three years we've been going uh to to uh, as you mentioned belgium franconia and barcelona so when you said you wanted to have a t- uh show about the tours i said let's get some of my american buddies who are in all three of these
3: places and in- they can talk about how much they miss me. <laughs> well, it really makes sense, and I'm, it's great to be here in New York and get the chance to talk to people in those three countries. So, uh, Casey in Belgium, we talked to you last fall. You were in New York for the Shelton Brothers Festival, but you're at de Duranka.
6: Yeah, hi, hi, everyone, Jimmy and listeners. I'm Casey Wellman. I work at de Duranka in Dutini, Belgium, just on the language border over here.
3: It's great. And uh, when did you first go to Belgium and and end up working at a Belgian brewery? Uh,
6: I just came over here in 2012 as a communications student. Um, It was a study abroad. I was choosing between Nepal, Mongolia, and Brussels. Um, I compromised and picked Belgium for the beer, um, which I guess uh, eight years later wasn't much of a compromise, because I'm pretty happy where I am. Uh,
3: That's great. (laughs) So we've got uh, our other American expat is Elliot? Elliot, introduce yourself uh, in Barcelona.
7: Hey everyone, I'm Elliot Koenig. I'm here at uh, Edge Brewing in Barcelona, Spain.
3: That's great. So first, I want to—I want to, uh, Elliot, you're newer to me. Just tell us uh, about Edge Brewing, how it got set up. It's—it's it's Americans. There's American equipment. Tell us what, why that happened, and how you got involved. A little backstory on Edge. Sure. So Edge Brewing uh, was the
7: brainchild of. Scott Vanover and Alan Shepard, uh two Americans who were, you know, involved in the beer community in the U.S. Uh Alan works for Premier Stainless. He had worked for them before and is actually back with them now. Scott was a home brewer and just a beer aficionado in Tampa. You know, a lot of friends, a lot of people in the neighbor in the industry that they were, you know, close with. And uh they just Scott pretty much went traveling around Europe and saw the the beginning of a craft beer movement here and so in 2013 he started doing all the necessary work to open edge brewing with the idea of bringing american craft beer to barcelona spain uh the first beer was brewed in january of 2014 and we've been going strong ever since um i've come i joined edge pretty much the end of 2017 came in as the role of general manager and have been here ever since running the show So where did you work before? I used to work in finance, actually, for uh, 10 years. I worked in the uh, hedge fund industry for different fund administrators. So I was actually all over the place. I lived in Dublin, Curacao, Toronto, and Boston. And uh, I'd studied abroad in Spain many years ago, and I had the opportunity to just make the move. So I moved to Spain in 2014. I was working from home. And after about two years, I realized I needed to make a change and saw pretty much what Scott had seen, that the craft beer movement was really starting to take form here and decided to quit my job and find a way into into the craft beer industry in Spain.
3: You know, just to to jump ahead to now, you know, the pandemic, I know it, it hit Spain, shut set a lot of it down, just like New York. What, what was that experience like? And and how are you guys going to come back from that?
7: Yeah, it was, it was quite
3: a quite a
7: situation, especially for me, because I was home right before this all broke out I was I'm from Miami originally so I was actually home mid February for Wakefest and then spent some time visiting and flew back on the Monday before pretty much the quarantine started here so we were supposed to have a major festival here which was the Barcelona Beer Festival and that all got canceled pretty much 2 to 3 days before um I mean it's been quite a quite a ride I mean imagine for everyone we all had to just figure out how to survive. Here in Spain, uh, the government obviously mandated the closures of bars, restaurants, and hotels, which are our key customers. But breweries of all sizes and shapes were considered essential business. So we had to remain open and find a way to survive. And that led to opening of online stores and just working with whatever channels we can to to move product. That's
3: great. Let's go back to Joel. So Joel. You know you you're the brainchild behind the Shelton Tours. How did you move into Barcelona? I know you've you've been telling me about it. i I should have been in one of your tours already this year. Why Barcelona? i I get the inspiration from my brother Dan, uh,
5: which is not the first time that's happened, of course. Um, he was traveling in Spain many years ago, kind of checking out the uh, the first beer festival, the craft festival, uh, Mediona festival which is out in the countryside west of Barcelona. He was going there in the early days, one of the few foreigners that actually was showing up at this thing, and just became a fan of the brewers there. They were all starting off basically fresh, learning to, learning to brew. And he just kept returning to this fest because it was so down home and fun and uh, just became friends with a lot of these guys. When they finally started making beer that tasted good, <laughs> he started uh, trying to import it. So we became kind of the only the only real importers of Spanish craft in the US. And um, I, uh, he did that behind my back, so I didn't know much about it. When I joined Shelton Brothers, which was 10 years ago, I ended up going with him on one of these trips to the uh, Mediona Fest, and I caught the bug equally badly. And uh, pretty quickly I became in charge of uh, you know, ordering and uh, buying from Spain. And so I became like the Spanish guy at Shelton brothers, uh, which was a really nice job. And so, uh, you know, just made sure we returned there every year, at least once or twice. And, um, so got to be friends with all these guys and, uh, Elliot's a good pal at edge among a lot of other folks. And, uh, so it's just a really good scene there, really good beer and a beautiful place, obviously. So you can't say much, much bad about it at all. And, um, we have our own festival there partnered with Elliot and the guys at Garage called MASH, which is also looks like it's being cancelled this year. But uh, it gives me an excuse to go there once a year. We hope to still have the tour in October in Spain, but that's definitely to be decided. But it's a really cool scene that I've been trying to promote here in the U.S., and I think it's finally starting to catch on a little bit based on the interest people have shown to go on our tour
3: in October. That's great. And, And Elliot, Give us a a few highlights of of that tour. When I I come to Barcelona, whether this fall or next year on the Shelton tour, what are some places that I'm going to go to?
7: Yeah. So, I mean, Joel obviously knows the city really well and some of the the hotspots. But I mean, definitely the highlights are going to Vaso de Oro, which is uh, owned by Gabriel Fort. It's one of the original tapas bars in the city. He makes all of his his own beer, and he has some of the best tapas in the city, including a solomillo with foie dish that is spectacular. Uh, you also get to go to just some of the local bars in the city, uh, Beer Cab, which is recognized as the top beer bar in the country of Spain or Catalonia, um, the Garage Bar as well, coming to our brewery, and then trips outside of the city to visit Carlos and Montse, who have Ales uh, Aguillons. They're the organizers of the Mediona Fest that Joel was speaking about before. They have a uh, farmhouse out in the countryside, and just going to their house and seeing how they produce beer and just being in their surroundings is—it's an amazing, magical experience.
3: Well, wow, that's a great little intro. Let's go to uh, Casey's. Casey in Belgium. Just tell us a little more about Duranke. I mean, I love the beers Duranke XX, Duranke Goldenberg. Um, what are some things that you've been going through now uh, during the pandemic? Any changes in your business operations?
6: Sure. Uh, I'd be happy to explain. Uh, for those who don't know the brewery, which uh, I'm finding more and more to my disappointment, a lot of people into craft beer don't necessarily know De Ronca, Uh over here in Belgium. Uh, we're a Belgian brewery started about 25 years ago um, by two just beer lovers in Belgium love classic belgian beers uh they missed the hops in belgian beers not to say they wanted to um overload people with bitterness or anything but they wanted to bring bitterness back uh, and they wanted to bring floral aromas from hops back into belgian beers um and th- it's been a small project then a small brewery a so medium-sized brewery ever since um we only work with whole hop flowers which I can explain a bit bit in how that impacts our business right now. Um, The hops are bought once per year. Uh, Flowers dried directly from the farmers. Um, Almost always Belgian hops as well um, to help support that industry. Um, So we don't really see changes in our supply chain or anything. Uh, We have hops in the fridge all year. That's fine. Um, but as soon as the crisis set in, um maybe I'll explain my job as well a bit first. So at Duranka, I work in the tap room with a colleague uh I also work in production about half time, and what we saw the tap room closed down immediately just around St Patrick's Day, the Saturday before that, uh, I believe here in Belgium, so that'd be the fourteenth of March. Uh, All the bars, restaurants shut down in Belgium uh, as of that Saturday. And so the brewery saw an immediate decline in sales to about 10% of what it was before. And that lasted until about a week ago. Um, So what that meant for the brewery is there were still a few brews planned. um, Also a few beers that the the owners, Nino and Guido, wanted to test, uh, mostly sour beers, different projects. Um so any brews following that were mostly just project beers, sour beers and then slowly bottling whatever was in tanks. And for the last 2 or 3 weeks we haven't brewed anything actually uh at the brewery. Uh we'll finally start again tomorrow. Um overall things went really quiet. Um And now that it's starting up again, we see a lot of positive response. We're just on the French border, so we see a lot of sales in Belgium and a lot of sales in France. Um, And we see that engagement from people, which is really great. Um, As far as the brewery goes, the way we reacted to things, um, basically the brewery is just looking to keep everybody on, take care of its staff, um, and keep doing what it could to make sure we can continue afterwards. Uh, I started doing bicycle beer delivery in the village and the surrounding villages, actually, <laughs> which has been a fun project. Uh, and we're slowly now over here getting a little bit back to the, the usual, which is um, at least in the French speaking part of Belgium, but definitely in all of Belgium as well. Uh, drinking beer on terraces uh, whenever it's sunny. And you definitely see that energy coming back again.
3: Well, that's great. Um, we'll talk more about your beers because I just love the Duranky XX and the the bitter hops and everything. um so and Joel, what are some of the features of the the Belgium Tour for Shelton Brothers? That's another tour I want to go on.
5: Well, yeah, I mean the, the drunk is a is a uh definitely a feature. it's one of the most beautiful breweries to visit i mean it's it's a great view from the terrace to drink beer. I mean, you can't beat that to start off. But, of course, you know, uh, the obvious things like uh, Cantillon and Drie Fontanen um, are, are highlights. Uh, it's pretty much everything we go on in that tour, for me, is equally great. Highlight uh, Strauss, uh, um, uh, T- uh Thierry in France. We get to go to West of Letter, And we might even, uh, next time we go, we may even get a tour inside, which is, I think, no one ever gets. But we'll see what happens with that. Um, it's just one stop, one thing after another. Oberon in France. Uh, De La Seine in Brussels. It's just pretty much one great thing after another. So I can't even pick one thing out. We had we had some new things uh, added on, which I'm very disappointed to have missed. Um, Pooker, Pooker, I'm trying to remember the name, Pooker. It's it's a hop farm we were gonna go visit. Uh Pooker,
6: the Pooker. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was a hop farm that makes their own beer. And I just sort of found it online, which I had never been there. We were gonna visit those guys. And we we're also going to, uh, the Kazamatin, this brewery built into the castle, uh, to the uh, city walls in uh, Ypres was going to be our opening dinner and stuff, all kinds of things. Uh, so, you know, that's all come and gone in May. We never got to go. Uh, fortunately, the huge majority of our guests were so psyched to go on the trip that they just decided, all right, we'll sign on for next year. And uh, they all paid and everything. And they just said, all right, never mind. We'll just go next year. So they were very, very cool about that for the most part. So we're just going to plan to just recreate it next next May uh, assuming everything goes okay. I have to admit I'm a little concerned about our uh, US response to COVID and whether anyone wants us to ever visit again. But uh we will see. But uh hopefully May 2 2021 will come sooner than later.
3: Th- thanks Joel. You know you know we we just don't know but I also feel like I'm, we're all positive people so we know that we're going to have some resemblance to normalcy in some way. Um, let's go into to Franconia. So, Baki, Jim,
4: hello. Uh,
3: yes. Just tell us your journey. How did you end up in Franconia? A little backstory, and just part you know parts of the daily life that that you're loving and the the beer culture there. Because, for you know for diehard beer fans, before there was American craft beer, Franconia was the promised land.
4: Yeah, it was. Uh, it. Bomberg was a word I always heard from the older beer gigs back in the early 2000s when I first started getting into beer. And I thought, what the hell is this Bomberg? But I think it didn't really sink in until I first saw a Shelton Brothers video, uh, wherein it was uh, the Dear Departed uh, um, uh, Ray Dieter with Daniel Shelton. Uh, it was a video of them touring Franconia. And I thought, "Wow, that's cool." And every year Joel every time we would do a beer event around the city in New York City, I worked with Shelton brothers by the way i should I should put that in there um and wonderful experience too. Uh, he always talked about Bromberg and Franconia, and one finally one event uh, we were doing at uh at one of Patrick's bars, uh, Patrick Doniger. Uh, I finally asked him, I said, well, look, can I come on a, on one of these trips to Franconia? He says, I don't see why not. It'd be great for you to come along.
3: Joel, why don't you jump in a little more about Franconia?
4: Well, I think, yeah,
5: Bucky was referring to the infamous uh, video of Ray Dieter and my brother tootling around in their bikes. Uh, If you, uh, Ray, as, as we all know, is not with us anymore, sadly, but uh, was a great guy and was a huge, huge fan of Franconia and he and Dan were quite a quite a spectacle on their bikes going around the countryside uh discovering this amazing stuff that the locals always knew about and no one else seemed to know about because it's really in the middle of nowhere uh and so once again as i mentioned Dan sort of uh, for me anyway discovered uh Catalonia as far as beer he also sort of turned me on to the Franconian i had been there i'd been to Bamberg in the 80s just trying Rauch beer because i was a pre-Shelton Brothers uh beer geek, of course, but I hadn't really explored the area. And uh, so once I got in with Shelton Brothers, then I became the German guy as well. And we uh we made a big tour every summer to go to some festivals and to just hang out in Bomberg all the time. And uh eventually Baki became one of our guys on tour. So we spent a lot of time together in Lederhosen uh knocking back leaders in between going to these beer gardens and it's just a magical place. And I always say, if you haven't been there, you haven't really had beer yet. And I would stand by that. I think everybody in the beer world, at least knows about it. And whoever hasn't been there is planning to go. And it's just one of those places and uh, it's, there's nothing like it in the world. And I'm very sad to be uh, missing it in the next few weeks when we should be there in late July. So that's the way it is now, but I look forward to, uh, I look forward to going back as soon as possible because there's there's really nothing in the world like
3: it. That's great. Um, Hey, 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 thanks so much for joining in. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
2: This episode is brought to you by Bend-A-Table, a a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Bend-A-Table is founded by Ben Simon, a longtime food lover, advocate, and experimenter. Ben goes around the country finding the stuff that you would buy if you were vacationing somewhere cool, like Charleston or California, and he buys it for you and sends it to you in a box. Bend-A-Table has three different subscription plans. One, pantry essentials, incredible dry staples each month, Rancho Gordo Beans Geechee Boy Grits and Community Grain Pastas all excellent by the way Global Delicacies is another choice and it's a way to explore the cuisine of different countries and cultures Delicacy boxes might include razor clams from Spain tinned obviously Wheat Locoche from Mexico or grilled artichokes in oil from Italy Bend a Table includes both the Pantry Essential and the Global Delicacy Plan. By purchasing any subscription, you'll help sustainable, well-produced ingredients and small producers stay alive in today's big business environment. Start your monthly subscription at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. Use the discount code HRN to get $20 off a new subscription, and Bend Table will donate $10 to support all of HRN's programming.
3: Hey hey hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's June 2020 and we're talking with American expats in Europe, uh including Casey at Bra- uh Brouwerij 's in Belgium and Elliot at Edge Brewing in Barcelona. So Elliot, um what what is unique about things the ingredients in particular? Some some things that I would say this is Barcelona. Are you using American ingredients, American water, um you know what what is uniquely barcelonian about craft beer is, is is beer something that spanish people or catalanians have been drinking now give us a little a little interesting details
7: yeah so well to start with with the ingredients uh obviously in the early days when he, when scott allen started the brewery there was this concept for all american ingredients american recipes american machinery uh nowadays the only thing that still remains is the american machinery uh, from Premier Stainless, but at this point our brewer is British with Robin Barden, and our ingredients. We've realized that sourcing is much easier to do in Europe than bringing it over from the U.S. Aside from the hops, obviously. Um, so that's that's pretty much been just in terms of the ingredients. Spain is a a very beer loving country. Uh, the the they consume beer at all hours of the day. It's not surprising to go in for your coffee at nine in the morning and see people just sitting at the bar already drinking, whether it be alcoholic uh beer or non-alcoholic beer. So there's always been a just a demand for beer here. So yeah, so there's there's always been a high demand for beer here. And you know, historically the industrial breweries of, of Spain have always, you know, been kings, whether it be Estrella Dam or Mao San Miguel, uh those have always been the you know, the pioneering beers. Before Edge started, there was, you know, some breweries had already started to take shape, Aguillon's, uh, Marina, uh, and many others. So there was, there was some movements of craft beer that had already started to, to formulate here. And over the last four or five years, it's definitely been an explosion uh, with just so many great breweries popping up, not only here in Barcelona, but throughout the country. Um, you know, Barcelona tends to be a little bit more progressive. Uh, than the rest of the country so it's, it's definitely been a lot more prevalent here but I mean if you look around the country now you have breweries like Basque Land up in San Sebastian um, or Peninsula in Madrid Napar beer in Pamplona I mean there's just great beer now being produced throughout the peninsula.
3: Yeah and Elliot um, you guys have so much going on in Barcelona and I'm definitely going to visit at some point um, why do you export? Is is Is, is there a Marketing reason for it? Uh, you, why why would you export if you have so many people coming to Barcelona to drink your beer?
7: So uh, I guess kind of like what I was saying before. The the whole movement towards craft beer is is relatively young here. Uh, Spain historically has been a country of drinking by color, whether it be and as they say in Spain, rubia tostada negra or trigo, which is lawn toasted black or wheat, and that's how most people used to order. So getting people to pay for a more expensive beer or just with flavors that they weren't really used to was, was a bit more difficult. And so I know when, when edge brewing started, um, exporting was actually probably 80, 85% of our sales. Uh, and it was, you know, it's a great way to just get your brand out there. It gets you invited to festivals all over Europe and all over the world. So you get to travel a little bit more and it was really, really the way to do it. Um, but over the last few years, we've obviously seen the growth of craft beer throughout all of Europe as it is all over the world. And so export sales is actually not as strong as it, as it had been before. And now there's definitely a a focus towards the local market, but thankfully with all these years of producing and trying to educate and teach the consumers here that there is more to a color and beer, it's, it's actually gone well that we've been able to level out and, Sell more beer locally and within the country rather than exporting it so
3: Elliot you're the, you're the GM. Tell me a little bit about the roles that you have um, you're separate from the brewery there's an ownership structure you know what are you responsible for <laughs> It's a loaded question. so I originally
7: got hired as a general manager, so that was to do the accounting and the administration and kind of general human resources managing the brewery and as Scott said, being the adult in the room. Uh, but that's obviously changed quite a bit over the years. I also do all the international sales, all the national sales. Right now, we have some of our, our staff on on paid leave just for the COVID crisis. So I also do the local sales. And then I organize a uh, big part of the organizing of the MASH Festival. So it's, it's really ballooned into just more than general manager. But... Yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of hats to wear here. It's, we're a small team. We have seven people and, you know, things need to get
3: done. So kind of just do all that I can to help out. So as the adult in the room, <laughs> I love that expression. It seems like we all need an adult in our lives. Um, what, what, are, what are some of the joys of living in Barcelona um, that you have to worry about as the adult in the room? <laughs>
7: I mean, there's you know, general general things to deal with here in terms of the great things about Spain that you always hear about siesta <laughs> and a laid back lifestyle. Uh, coming from the U.S. and trying to manage here, you know, you have to kind of look down at your phone and think, can I make this phone call? Oh no, it's between two to four thirty. People are at lunch, <laughs> so, so it's, it's a little bit difficult at times with that, or just the entire month of August where everyone's on vacation and you need to pre-plan all your purchasing and labels and everything you could imagine for the month prior because you're not getting an answer the entire month of August. So, I mean, those are some of the quirks. But other than that, it's, you know, it's working. It's, it's just, you know, getting, getting out there talking
3: to the people and getting them to understand what the product is. That's great. And uh, I'd like to go back to Baki. Let's just go back and tell us a little bit about your, your journey to Franconia. Fill us in.
4: Yeah, well, like I said, um, <clears throat> I was working with Shelton Brothers and heard about Franconia from Joel. I'd seen this video with Daniel and the dear departed uh, Ray Dieter uh, exploring these Kellers, and I thought, what is this? what is this all about? I I want to go to there, to quote Tina Fey. Uh, So um, I asked Joel about it. He said, man, come on out. Yeah. So I I talked with uh, Daniel and Tessa and they said, yeah, come on out. You're more than welcome. And my heart was always here. So later on in my career, I thought, uh, you know, I want to travel. So I talked with Dan and Martha, they was, they were doing a year of traveling with this work and travel and you get to work on these different places. It could be a farm, it could be a brewery, winemaker, cider maker, whatever. And so, uh, yeah, so I signed up on this website. I found Herdl Brown Manufacturer. And they're a small family-run brewery here in the middle of Franconia. And, I mean, really, really small, as in one room about the size of your office, Joel, that fits uh, the brew house, the the filling machine, and the uh, bottle washing machine. So <laughs> I was just washing about like 600 bottles today with you know on this tiny machine that fits six bottles, 16 bottles at a time. So, yeah, but um yeah, I started working with these guys uh in t- gosh, was it 2018 and uh had to be away for a few months because of the whole Schengen uh visa thing, but they found a way for me to stay on for 3 years and do an apprenticeship. So now I'm going to school and at the same time, I'm learning German. I mean, literally, that's how it has been. So I sit in class at the school. I don't understand a word of what's being said. Although it's getting better. And then I go back through with Google Translate, and I'm like, Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, partial. <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, don't don't poison any don't poison
3: anyone, Baki.
4: No, no, no. I'm I'm it's i'm learning proper it's 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 really cool it's uh the experience of of learning the beer culture here and the brewing culture and uh learning the language at the same time it's it's probably one of the most challenging uh things in my life parts of my life but uh also really incredibly rewarding it's just
3: uh, um tell us about the town so the Brau Manufacture Her- Herdl. Brau Manufacture It's the a f- town that it's-, it's in, and a little bit yeah. about that town. Any other breweries nearby? Any places to eat food? A little bit of the life
4: oh. of the town. Cool. Perfect. Well, we're in this little town called. Uh, well, it's it's a yeah, it's a town called Schlüsselfeld, and on the outskirts of Schlüsselfeld is uh, is the brewery in a little hamlet called uh, Tungfeld. And, uh, so, uh, the, comp- the, the brewery started, uh, 12 years ago. Uh, the family started it and, uh, basically, uh, yeah, we, uh, nearby us is a, uh, another brewery that's a bit more traditional, uh, slightly bigger. It's called, uh, Stembroi Schäuble. And I live right across the street from <laughs> the brewery there. So, uh, yeah it's uh the it's a it's a little market town we've got a hotel we've got a brewery and a big old church with a steeple like where i'm sitting i'm looking over the town uh you know in this beer garden so uh yeah it's just uh and it's 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 a farmer town they're farmers there's uh there's you know if you've got you know, Puma and uh, adidas that manufacture their their uh, their shoes uh, right nearby, so there's a lot of thirsty people <laughs> a lot that come by and what and what
3: are some of the ingredients? So it's a farming area, I mean hops, yeah, malt. tell us some particulars Is,
4: um, is there a place that well, this, you guys buy from? The, the main farming industry is uh wheat and barley obviously important for beer and for bread. Um, also, uh, uh, rap seed, uh, uh, you know, for rap seed oil. So in this, like later in the spring, you've just got these brilliant fields of yellow, bright yellow, and they're these, uh, rap seed flowers. So, um uh, that's a big thing. And then, yeah we've got we're surrounded by forests, so we've got wild blueberries and blackberries that grow uh all around so yeah hopefully we'll have a good harvest of blueberries this year to uh brew like a uh a blueberry ale with so yeah and and what
3: beers are what beers are you guys making regularly at
4: um Regularly at Hertel, we've got, uh, uh, we've got a group of uh, the classic Franconian styles. We've got a Keller beer uh, called Opa's Liebling, which is uh, grandfather's favorite. Uh, a light lager beer, a you know, bright lager beer called Moody's Sun and Shine, Mother's Sunshine. And then uh, we have a, 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 a wheat beer, a Weitz beer called Papa's Weitzheit, so Papa's Wisdom. So we brew those uh, throughout the year and we partner with a bigger brewery because we're just too small to uh, sort of feed the demand that, uh, you know, that we get with these beers. So, uh, you know, we sell throughout uh, the local area through, you know, to um, supermarkets, to restaurants, hotels nearby. So,
3: Baki, last thing. So, yeah, this will get edited too. Baki, last thing. So in that town... Um so Hertel is it's a new brewery. Is, is that common yeah, in Franconia totally. that there's new breweries? Are there breweries that are open and closing or there's just historical breweries? Tell me more.
4: Um well there's uh there's a lot of new craft breweries opening up. Uh mostly um it you know towards the bigger cities like Nuremberg and then obviously outside of Franconi in Bamberg and then outside of Franconi in, in Berlin and, uh, Munich. But, uh, we're the one craft brewer, uh, here in this, uh, in this village. And, uh, so we're like, I, we just brewed an IPA, a hazy IPA, uh, in conjunction with the, uh, altogether program that other half is doing. So, um, and we're getting ready to bottle that uh, this week, actually. So it's so weird. I escaped uh, America's crazy hazy uh, obsession, only to arrive in Franconia, and they're like, "Let's brew a hazy IPA." <laughs> so, yeah. So.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll tell you right cold. in Brooklyn right now, Threes is featuring a a lightly mm-hmm. smoked lager. And uh, oh, a lot of breweries great. have been making Schwarzbier this this past winter. Yeah, so, yeah. You
4: know No, it's it's great. That's the beauty when there when there isn't a hell of a lot being sold. There's there's more time to let these beers lager. So lager away. That's what I say.
3: <laughs> that's great. Okay, yeah. Bucky. Now we're gonna go to Casey. So Casey, um, uh, Casey, tell us a little more about the sourcing ingredients in 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 your part of Belgium some of the local color and flavor, but, you know, where do you get your
6: hops? You you can mention any farms or, you know, distributors you work with. Absolutely. So Joel mentioned a bit earlier. um, Joel mentioned visiting a hop farm uh, over in West Flanders called De Plücker. That's quite a small farm. They sell a majority of the hops they grow. And they also brew on site with a minority of that, from what I understand. There are about 10 hop farms in Belgium. We source from two of them. We source from one in, as two languages or two names, because there are two languages in Belgium. And it's also on the border. Warneton or Wusten. it's called a forest farm. I would say just from looking at the hop fridge, we get at least 70% of our hops from there. Um, and a minority of our hops from Poperinga, just near West uh, West Lederin, uh at Boerhaven. That's our secondary supplier. Um, we buy our malt from four different malt houses. Uh, our pale malt all comes from Belgium, so is our base malt. Sometimes we dip into Germany for either wheat malt or um, specialty dark malts from Weiermann sometimes. Um, But it all comes basically from this region. Um, Yeah, and the thing about Duranka is that we work with hop flowers. So what determines a lot of how we work during the year is uh, the hop harvest, which is in about September here. Uh, We had a cool thing, which I'd really love to share with visitors uh, from anywhere is uh, visiting the hop fields. Uh, We took a bunch of Duranka fans out there last September, just before I was with you last time, Jimmy. Um, We uh, visited the hop fields just at harvest time. We watched the, the hop farmer. They know us well. I mean, Nino and Guido, the owners of Duranka, they've been clients of this hop farm for at least 20 years. I don't have a precise year, but it's been at least 20, from what I understand. Uh, they were showing us around. They showed us, they picked a couple of rows of hops for us. Uh, they were processing them, separating the flowers from the vines and showing us where they dry them, uh, along with a group of whatever people wanted to join us on that bus that day. Um, went around kind of exploring the roots of Joranka that day. That was a lot of fun. That's great. And uh, Casey, when you say hop flowers, you mean the hop itself? The cones, I guess is what people say in the U.S. Yeah. So... So the hop is, uh, it, one of its closest relatives is, I guess, cannabis, marijuana, uh, but it grows a bit differently. It's, uh, it grows several meters or yards uh, up. Um, it couldn't go into a bush, but hop farmers train it to usually grow up some sort of uh, metal wire just to get a good surface area uh, to expose the sunlight to grow flowers uh, the hop grows a green flower, which is about the size of an acorn. Uh, at least the female uh, plant does, which is what the hop farms are populated with. Um, and that's the aromatic flower that might attract, for example, butterflies or other things. But to humans, it also smells very nice. It, um, Depending on the variety, you can get very rose-like aromas, uh, all the way to fruity, all the way to... Um, like resiny, like evergreen type scents. Um, it's an amazing little flower. Um, it doesn't have that many uses for humans, except to bitter and uh, flavor our beers, as well as preserve them, or maybe to make a tea to help you go to sleep. Um, but at Duranka, we love the hop. Um, so, so we're very connected with that. Casey, um, just about you.
3: Yes. When you, when you first got there, whatever, eight years ago, um, what, what was it hard to adapt and did, what languages do you speak? And, you know, what was it like, uh, working in another country?
6: Um, so I came here eight years ago, um, as a student of communications, but my actual mission was just to visit breweries. Um, so I was skipping class quite often to go out and visit different breweries across Belgium, uh, by bicycle, by train. Um, I, I guess I had a lot more ambition than I had fear. Uh, I spoke a bit of French upon arrival. Um, And as I studied it in the U.S., I didn't like it, to be honest. And that's not to criticize things as they are in the U.S. But uh, I had different reasons for studying French than most French students did. Um, I wanted to learn French to talk with people. Um... And a lot of the topics we studied in class were just uh, tourism-based, to be honest. Uh, Visiting like monuments, sites, uh, as a tourist, what you need. And I I didn't like it very much. So my French actually got much better in Belgium when I found out I could use that to learn about beer. I was like, oh, wow, suddenly this language makes sense. Okay, I can talk with people. Uh, I can talk with this monk. I can find my way through things. Um, and so my experience was very positive. Once I arrived, um, I had a very helpful professor who I'm still very good friends with, uh, named Michelangelo van Myrten. Uh, you have a lot of unique names here in Belgium. Um, and during my semester of studies, uh, he was also learning a lot about beer. Um, and together, by the end of the semester, we agreed that we'd visit a lot of breweries. So when I stayed on past my study program, I became his intern, not for beer reasons, but uh, to help with the program. And on the side, we'd often visit breweries on weekends uh, by bicycle, by train, by car. Um, and that's actually how I not got to know Nino at Duranca, one of the two owners, As um, we basically wrote him an email. He said, sure, come by for a tasting. Um, no problem. Uh, and I've, we were, we were both fans before that, but I've been a really hardcore Duranka fan ever since. And that was 2013. Yeah. And so in the beginning, what were you doing? You were cleaning kegs. You were, I only started working at Duranka last spring, to be honest. Uh, I, be, I lived in Prague for five years previously. I was sometimes working at one of the Lambic producers uh, out Bersel, uh, just south of Brussels. Um, from Prague, I would commute for the season uh, of emptying, filling barrels, all of that. Um, and i just known Nino and Guido for a few years by then. Uh, to start at Duranka, they hired me because um, in those recent years, since 2012 and 13, I'd picked up on a bit of Dutch. Uh, my French had gotten better. Um, and when I was traveling to Belgium, uh, Duranka always remembered me because I was, I, w- I would, tell my, I was living in Prague and I would tell my Czech friends who were either brewers or they owned bars or just beer fans. I would say, okay, anyone who wants to come along, I'll take a week off and we'll do a tour. Um, in a, I think a similar spirit to what Shelton brothers tours is doing, uh, just to really share beer culture with people um and you know and guido they always remembered me f- mostly from that uh from an american guide bringing a bunch of checks into a belgian brewery it was a kind of a strange thing uh but the was always a sure stop on my tour i i, I love the place uh i love the beers um, that even spans from before i was working there but uh no uh, from the beginning i was hired to help man the tap room um, to take some of the tours off of Nino's back because he gets a bit busy with other things, also has family life. Uh, now, he's he's over 60 years old now, and he's still there usually six days a week at the brewery. Um, and also to help in production on the side. So, yeah, washing kegs is a part of my everyday thing. Sometimes I'm transferring bottles from cases to other cases i still doing that. That doesn't change. Uh, Everyone in the brewery does it Um, because we have consigned bottles. So there's a deposit on them. Uh, We don't have a washing machine yet. So we take our cases full. We send the bottles to other breweries um, to be washed and reused, Uh, giving tours, serving beers, cleaning out the mash tun, taking the hops out of the kettle because we only use hop flowers so somebody has to go down at seven in the morning take the still warm hops from yesterday's brew uh fill hops or fill malt sacks with all these hops that are kind of semi-dry um, and then scrub with a, a bristle pad or, or brillo pad sorry uh the whole inside of the boiling kettle um, it, it's really variable my work
3: well it's it's a great journey man it's it's that's what i want to see on the tour joel i want to go you guys can come
6: in the boiling kettle. You're absolutely welcome.
3: Man. Actually, it's one of my first uh it was 2006 was when I first at, at my pub in New York City, I met Dan Shelton and I was first one of the first things he placed on my draft system was the Duranki Goldenberg.
6: Oh, the Goldenberg.
3: Man, I I had a Belgian triple on which was and that was one way Dan got in with us. He's like, "Well, that's crap, but we have he call it a natural naturally made belgian triple Duranke goldenberg
6: yeah, that's a nice way to explain it
3: i must have personally drank in, uh, about 106 sixths over a couple of years
6: <laughs> yeah the the goldenberg is it's a wonderful beer that's what the brewery started with actually that that was nino's uh, homebrew in the early 90s um, which in Belgium, nobody was starting a brewery in the early nineties. You maybe have the Dola popping up from at some point there, but there was a lot of radio silence because so many breweries had closed in the 1980s. Um, but yeah, it was with a triple, but a, it's not a bitter beer, but there's bitterness in a triple, um, I love Goldenberg. I, I avoid it actually because it's so drinkable at the high alcohol as with a lot of triples that um, it doesn't help my next day very much. Uh, I, I think,
3: you know, there's the cocktail craze. Right. Screw the cocktail craze. I, I'm a fan of a really good Belgian triple on a Friday night. That's my drink. So
6: yeah, That's a good way to go. It, by the way, that still remains one of our only two dry hopped beers. Uh, at the brewery, <laughs> uh, our more hoppy aromatic beers are not dry hopped, but our triple is, uh, which is kind of funny.
3: Uh, wow. I'm, I'm, definitely w- i definitely want to come there. Let's just get everyone at Elliot. Uh, if you want to just tell us about one beer that you, you have and that you, we could be drinking this summer. Yeah. So, uh, actually
7: I'm enjoying one right now, which is our, uh, Pina Colada Sour, our Berliner Weiss, uh, Today's actually the start of a holiday here, it's San Juan. So historically, it's a one of the craziest party nights in the summer where everyone goes to the beach. There's usually bonfires and fireworks and people have to jump in jump uh, get in the water and jump three waves at midnight, but unfortunately the beach is closed this year, so they're not letting anyone, anyone over there, but I can kind of hear them setting off fireworks already throughout the streets um but it's usually the the sign that summer is here so i'm enjoying this piña colada sour it's uh we put pineapple puree into a kettle sour base uh pineapple puree pineapple juice and then for the coconut we actually take out our paella pan and we we toast the coconut on the paella pan to then add that to the beer to get the coconut flavor into it it's we've been doing it the past 2 years and for me it's usually the the indicator that it's warmer weather and it's time to go to the beach
3: well, how would you sum up like the, the, the feeling in Barcelona? I mean many of us know the history and you know there's uh, architecture and, and so many things going on there. Um how, what was the feeling there during the the quarantine and you know the spirit what's the spirit of Barcelona? Yeah, so I mean everyone really took it serious
7: uh once once everything went on to lockdown. It happened around the same time. Um, as I think Casey was saying or, or Baki about pretty much that week before St. Patrick's Day, um, that weekend, um, everything, everything just went shut down and everyone really took it serious. I mean, the the streets were a ghost town. You didn't see anybody out there. Nobody was even trying to, to mess around, but then there was this feeling of camaraderie at 8 PM at night. Everyone would start applauding the, uh, you know, the healthcare workers and the police and everyone. And everyone really stuck together um, to to try to get through it. And then, in the beer community, like I was kind of saying before, we all had to figure out a way to to stay around. And you know, pretty much every brewery who didn't have it had an online store launch, Um, and the response was great. I spoke to a lot of the other brewery owners, and we all found that people were just really, really interested. People were, you know, buying a case of beer from us one week, a case from another brewery the next week, and just supporting all of us breweries so it was it was really great to see and that now it's it's starting to open up it's been kind of weird the process here because it's been broken down by province so some provinces the smaller ones have been able to you know get back to normal a little bit earlier than other ones so we're kind of all just waiting and seeing and then last week was kind of just kind of funny because we finally made it into phase three of you know the uh De-escalation, the de bringing down the quarantine, and it was supposed to last for about a week or two. But they gave the the permission to the the local governments to decide how long that phase lasts. And here in Barcelona, they did it for ten hours and just declared we were done. So they want, they want tourists to start coming back, and they want people to get out there. So there's there's movement happening now, but hopefully people you know keep wearing their masks
3: and are responsible, so we
7: don't have another outbreak.
3: So you're, you're, let's just get another beer from you by season. So it's summer. You you have a sour. What would be a typical edge beer that I would drink in the fall if I come on this tour?
7: Uh, in the fall, we would probably – I mean, we'd still probably have some sours out there because <laughs> it's always pretty warm here still in October. Um, but we would probably at that point – I mean, uh, IPAs are really, really big, so we would either probably have just a hop forward – Hazy IPA. I know that's kind of typical for everywhere now, um, but then we we always try to have you know new releases. We always we always we pride ourselves in just kind of doing a full gamut of beers. We're not known for one particular style, so anywhere from having our a porter on tap to an ESB to an IPA, we, we kind of have a little bit of everything. So if you came in the fall, we would probably. I mean, if it's for the festival and mash, we would probably have some special things on. But if it's just a typical day we'd probably give you a pint of Padrino, which is our, our porter
3: and so you're, you're predicting for the fall that you, the brewery is open restaurants will be open but most likely the festivals will not be happening in barcelona yeah i mean everyone's still kind of hesitant to say anything
7: that far out just because of you know what a lot of people are worried about for this second wave hitting around then so everyone's kind of still skeptical But if everything goes on track, you know, bars and restaurants should still be open. They might have smaller capacity, but we're hoping everything goes on. Um, In the case of the festivals, I know the Barcelona Beer Festival, which was supposed to be held in March, they're eyeing an October date. So that might take place given the situation as we get closer. Some other smaller local festivals are still looking to see if they can do it. Uh, When it came to our festival with MASH, we worked really, really hard for the last three years to, to establish the festival and give it the reputation it's earned. And we were actually sitting together, myself with the guys from Garage, talking about it. And we just realized that we, we can't be assured that it would be the festival that, you know, we've kind of built it to be. And we just kind of had to make this decision to say, you know what, let's let's wait for next year and uh, do it even better. And in the meantime once we get to august if we could see that we can organize on a smaller scale some type of event to to treat the locals and to treat anybody who come from the tour we certainly will organize some some type of event
3: do you have a date for 2021 for the mash festival so i can start planning yeah we we always shoot for that
7: last weekend of october we try to squeeze it in there between all in and what's brewing so it's pretty much established now. It's usually the last weekend of, of October.
3: That's great, man. I'm so glad you, you you got to come on the show, Elliot and Baki and Casey. And uh, jo- I don't, you know, we know about the Shelton tours. If he wants to, just wrap it up. Uh, anything else he wants to say about the tours?
5: Sure. Uh, first of all, it's it's uh, it's very uh, unfortunate for us because uh, I personally look forward to traveling over in Europe more than anything else that I do all year. And uh, I'm just trying to get past that and realize there's nothing I can do about that. Still hoping to go to see uh, Elliot and all the other folks in uh, Spain in October. But if that doesn't happen, I understand as well. Um, But uh, I encourage everyone listening to uh, get in touch with me if they're interested in visiting any three of these great places. We may add more places later too, but these are our favorite places to travel right now. And really, really hoping we get uh, things straightened out for 2021, because I gotta get myself over to Europe again. That's the uh, bottom line. It's all about me. I miss all you guys. I miss you, Joel. Uh, yeah, I miss all you guys. We we'll have like some old place, waiting for you. Each place is a, is a different experience, and great in its own way. And I, and I, uh, it really, it's really that's what makes life fun for me is to to visit those guys over in those places. So hopefully, it all comes back.
3: Let's, we're gonna wrap. Baki, just say goodbye in German for us.
4: Uh guten Nacht, servus, and and you uh, know, good schlafen. Okay. And Casey, say goodbye. Say goodbye in Dutch. Uh,
6: at the you just say yo.
3: <laughs> and Elliot, a uh, uh, Barcelona uh, goodbye. Yep, I'll uh, give you the Spanish and the Catalan. Buenas noches, bonanit, bonanit. Well, you guys have been great. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Joel Shelton of Shelton Brothers and Shelton Brothers Tours, Casey Veldman of Brauerei Duranke in Belgium, Jim Bucky Barnes of Fra- in Franconia, uh, Brow Manufacturer Hertel in Germany, and Elliot Koenig of Edge Brewing in Barcelona, Spain. You guys have been so great. We hope to uh, visit you guys in the future on the Shelton Brothers Tours. Thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout-out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and head engineer, Matt Patterson. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com/slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like.